Well, we're going to do a little study this morning and try to make it quick. <laughs> All miracle believers. This is <laughs> I'm not even going to ask what time it is because I know. Um, let's pray together. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us with his commands and commands us to engross ourselves in the words of Torah. Amen. I, I want to talk about our Torah portion and a theme that emerges very clearly in the Torah portion, but it's not limited to the Torah portion. Actually, it's a theme that helps us understand the world we're living in and the life that we're living in. It's, it's this, we're in the middle of a spiritual war. How many of you already knew that? Okay, for the rest of you, I wanna tell you. We are in a spiritual war, which means there are many battles, and there is no place, nor is there any time that's exempt from the spiritual warfare. It's useful and helpful to understand that so that you can pay attention to the local details and the moment-by-moment -moment details of the spiritual wars and battles you personally are engaged in. Your battle may be different from somebody else's battle. But this week's Torah portion is about spiritual warfare and how God rescues and redeems the firstborn. And I want to focus on that because God's firstborn son is described as the people Israel in the book of Exodus. Am Yisrael or Kalal Yisrael. And so I want to start with a portion that is um, from an earlier reading the last few weeks. It's Exodus chapter 4, verse 21. The Lord instructed Moses, and this is at the very beginning when God calls Moses at, at Sinai, when you go back to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders that I've put within your power. Do what I've enabled you to do. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart so that he will not let the people go. Then verse 22, then tell Pharaoh that this is what the Lord says. And pay attention to these details. Israel is my firstborn son. And I told you, Pharaoh, to let my son go so that he may serve me and worship me. But since you've refused to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. This is a battle over the rescue and redemption of God's firstborn. And the price that Pharaoh pays for his refusal to acknowledge that the children of Israel belong to God and for his subjugation and mistreatment of the children of Israel, that price will be like for like. You do this to my firstborn, watch what I do to yours. It's the message that is both for Pharaoh personally, but it's for the gods of Egypt as well. The Lord says this, you're messing with my firstborn and it's going to cost your firstborn. Now there's a phrase you're probably familiar with in the Bible that is a mistranslation because it's an idiom that's trying to capture something that makes more sense in English or is more familiar. You've, you've probably heard that Israel is the apple of my eye, that the Lord says that. But that's not what the Hebrew says. It says Israel is the pupil of my eye, which is really different. If, if you reach for someone's apple, they will respond differently 
than if you poke them in the pupil. Now let's go to a portion from this week's reading in Exodus 12, verses 12 and 13. It's speaking of the coming night. For on that night I will pass through the land of Egypt and I will kill all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both men and animals. And I will execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt. Now this is interesting. The act of redemption is is another chapter in spiritual warfare because God is saying, I am going to defeat the power and arrogance of the gods of Egypt. And I will do this for the sake of Israel, but understand this, it was also for the benefit of the Egyptians that they could understand that they're serving other spiritual forces who are ungodly and who are not as strong as they thought. Why do people stay subjugated to tyrannies? Because they are afraid of the power that will be unleashed against them, the cruel power. But when a tyranny is overthrown, when a tyrant is overthrown, you know what, the people rejoice. And in the same way, God is saying, I am gonna overthrow the tyrants of Egypt so that my children can be free, but it's also for the benefit of anyone else. I am Adonai, and then look at this, the blood will serve you as a sign marking the houses where you are when I see the blood. This is in reference to God's instruction to take a lamb, a Passover lamb for each household and to sacrifice it to the Lord to take its blood and apply it to where? The doorpost, the um, side posts and the lintel of each of the doorway and to stay inside and also to roast that lamb with fire and to consume it on that night. But what about all the vegans? Same. So, yeah, it's an interesting, but what if you don't like lamb? It, tonight you like lamb. <laughs> the blood will serve you as a sign marking the houses where you are. When I see the blood. Now, there are some people, I'm sure, who would think, I'm reading from the Messianic Torah. I'm only reading from the Torah because there's no Messianic Torah. There's one Torah. God is looking for the blood. Isn't that interesting? He's looking for the blood. And he says to the children of Israel, there will be no redemption for you tonight unless you have the blood. But if you don't like blood, it's irrelevant. And then we'll back up just a little bit to a really important passage in Exodus 11 from the reading this week, starting in verse four. Moses said, here's what the Lord says about midnight, I will go into Egypt. The Lord says, I will go out into Egypt and all the firstborn in the land of Egypt will die from the firstborn of Pharaoh sitting on his throne to the firstborn of the slave girl at the handmill and all the firstborn of the livestock. 
There will be a horrendous wailing throughout the land of Egypt. There has never been another like it and there will never be again. But not even a dog's growl will be heard against any of the people of Israel, neither against people nor against their animals. In this way, you will realize that Adonai makes a distinction between the Egyptians and the Israelites on this night. So while Egypt is wailing, it will be totally quiet among the Israelites. There will be a holy hush, a holy silence. It was the first silent night, truly. And not even the growl of a dog would be heard among the Israelites. It's as if creation would be still among the children of Israel. And then back to chapter 12, verse 23. For the Lord will pass through to kill the Egyptians, but when he sees the blood on the top and on the two sides of the doorpost, the Lord will pass over the door and will not allow the slaughterer, the destroyer, to enter your houses and kill you. So this is the second theme, is the blood of the lamb is assigned to the Lord. The Lord actively protects. So he's rescuing and redeeming the firstborn. It's a battle over the firstborn. And the price of the firstborn is, is important. So the firstborn is the first theme, and the second theme is the blood. The blood of the lamb is assigned to God. The Lord actively protects when he sees the blood he's asked for. And he forbids the slaughterer or destroyer or the angel of death to enter the house and kill. Because the blood makes atonement and the, the blood has life in it. And it's also connected to the bloodline. Because covenantal redemption is redemption of a bloodline. I love that worship song today, the Lord is for us, he goes before us. It's good to know this, he goes before us. That's an important idea. When people hear the word Passover, they think to skip, to miss. But Passover in Hebrew really is a word that describes the, the bouncing of a lamb or a sheep in the field. And if you've ever seen a video of sheep bouncing, it's really quite amazing because they bounce, they sort of fly and land and do it again. It's like they're pogo sheep or something. It, it's quite amazing and that's how the Lord says he will be. He will go bouncing through the land of Egypt and the land of Israel, he's looking for one thing. What is it? The blood of the lamb. And wherever the blood of the lamb is, he stops and he protects that house and its inhabitants. And he stops the angel of death, the one who is assigned uh, to execute judgment. He stops that one from coming into the house. That's how God works. He sees the blood of the lamb, he protects. He personally protects and stops the evil one. And then chapter 12, verse 25 through 27. When you come to the land which Adonai will give you, as he's promised, you are to observe this ceremony. When your children ask you, what do you mean by this ceremony? What do you mean by this Pesach Seder? Here's your answer. It's the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover because the Lord passed over and protected the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt 
when he killed the Egyptians but spared our houses. So when we celebrate the Pesach, we have to know the story of Passover. And then it goes on, Exodus 12, 40. This was a night when Adonai kept vigil to bring them out of the land of Egypt. And the same night, this is interesting, continues to be a night when Adonai keeps a vigil for all the people of Israel through all their generations. Isn't that interesting? On that first night, he kept vigil, but not just that first night. On every Passover since, he's keeping vigil. Now, I wanna talk about the battle of the firstborn, and I wanna go all the way back to creation where Adam, the first created human, and Eve, the first created woman, they were, in a sense, the firstborn of humanity. Though they weren't born in a traditional sense, you could say they were first fruits. Is that okay to say that? Well, good, because you know what? Firstborn and first fruits are actually the same thing in Hebrew. So there you go. Adam and Chava, Adam and Eve, were the first, and there was a battle over them, right? That's the story that we read about. There was a battle, and Hasatan, in a sense, took the firstborn of the Lord. And there's been a battle ever since over the firstborn, and over all those who belong to the Lord. Think in the next generation, Cain and Abel. Again, the firstborn Cain goes against God one more time. Then fast forward to Abraham and Sarah and the, the Akedah, the, the binding of Isaac, the impending sacrifice of Isaac, who is the firstborn of Abraham and Sarah. And this is the price that the Lord is asking Abraham to be willing to pay. But at this moment, the Lord provides a substitute, a lamb caught, a ram caught in a thicket. And so a new message is added. Not only do you need a sacrifice to pay the price of redemption for the firstborn, but in the meantime, you'll need a substitute because the price is the firstborn. And that leads us to Yeshua. So let's fast forward to some new covenant scriptures. Um, 1 Corinthians 5, 7 is a useful one that's very succinct. And it's particularly useful for anyone who, who is part of a Christian denomination that's not connected to um, the Jewish people. Can I put it that way? Because the very content of, of what we're about to read requires that you be connected to the Jewish people and to Jewish thought and history and practice, etc., or else it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, for Messiah, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Well, if you don't know what a Passover lamb is, nothing makes sense here. If you don't know what an anointed one is, nothing makes sense. All of this is foundational, which means the apostles expected everyone, Jew and Gentile, to connect to Jewish life, history, covenant, and present reality and future reality. And the whole notion of who Messiah was, who Yeshua was as Messiah, was rooted in this connected understanding. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. 
that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. His only begotten son, his, his firstborn. Now, Yeshua is unique as in many ways, but one way is this. Uh, he's not just made in the image of God, like the person sitting next to you or like you. You and I were made in the image of God, right? As diverse as we are, we all are made in the image of God. But Yeshua wasn't made in the image of God. He is the image of God. And that's why um, he could say, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. In Colossians 2.9, we've looked at this uh, for a few weeks. It says, the fullness of God is living within the human body in Messiah Yeshua. It's the fullness of God with a human body. It's not that the man became God, it's that God took on a human body. Yeshua lays down his human body. And this is what I really want to close with. Because everything that had to do with his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension was controversial to the Talmudim, to the disciples. Forget all the people who didn't believe in him. Let's only focus on those that did. Do you remember how impossible it was for his Talmudim to believe that Messiah would suffer? Because it went against their eschatological understanding of Messiah. They thought Messiah would be a victorious and vanquishing king, and like every good Jew, knows even to this day when Messiah comes, there'll be world peace. Wrong. The Talmudim were wrong, everybody else was wrong about that detail. That's part one. So the idea that Messiah has to suffer is unacceptable to everyone except Messiah. <clears throat> so he chooses to lay down his life. Okay, so he lays down his life. He's crucified. That's shocking, disturbing, uh, and disappointing. And so it's heartbreak for the disciples. But then he's resurrected as he had told them he would be, but they couldn't believe because they were rejecting the premise that he would suffer. Now he's suffered, now he's resurrected. Women come back and tell the news. The guys think that, that their message is not true. The guys are wrong. The women had it right. Okay, so everybody's happy now. The women are happy, it's like, look, we understood something from the Lord, you didn't. The guys are happy, it's like, wow. We didn't get it, you did. And then it's time for yet another offense and trouble and disappointment because Yeshua appears to his disciples in many different places afterwards. And then there's this certain moment when he says, now I have to return. And he, he ascends and he's physically lifted up in front of the disciples. You can read about it at the end of Luke uh, where he's, he's ascending and the disciples are all worshiping and they've bent the knee and they are prostrate before him and they're worshiping him. 
It's really quite amazing. <coughs> but in the meantime, they're, they're troubled. And here's why, because they didn't want him to go because it was against their eschatology. They had figured out all prophetic things and the signs of the times and what needed to happen and would happen. And because Messiah had come, they put it all together. And what this meant was Messiah would vanquish Rome. Rome would no longer be ruling and oppressing and Israel would be set free. And they had figured out eschatology perfectly. They had the major events, they had the signs, they knew how to read the scriptures and to prove their point, and they had everything worked out except, except, oh, come on. They were wrong. Oh, come on. Yeah, they were. They were wrong. Which shows that whether you're right or wrong about some of those details uh, ultimately may not matter because what actually happens will teach you. Come on, is that good? <laughs> yeah, that's really good. Yeah, they were all wrong. And afterwards, they got it right. By the time they wrote everything down, they got it right. They were expecting now something different. That's just free for all of you who like eschatology. But... No, it's serious. It's important for us to study and to understand the times, but that doesn't mean that we will understand the times. The purpose of understanding the times is to know how to respond to the times. And there's a general way of responding that we always have to be aware of, and that is to have oil in your lamp and to keep it burning, to be ready. To be ready at any time. If the Lord comes back tonight, I'm good with that. My bags are packed. I'm ready to go. I'm standing outside the door. <laughs> but if he doesn't come back, I want to stay ready. And I want my kids to be ready. I want my grandkids to be ready. I want you and your kids and your grandkids to be ready for however short or however long so that whenever he comes and however he does it, whether he tarries or doesn't tarry, or he does both, which is what he actually did, we're ready no matter what. Otherwise, we can be defeated simply because we figured everything out. And the disciples felt abandoned. Yeshua said, you're not abandoned. I'm returning to heaven because I have to in order to send the Holy Spirit to fill you up so that you can be effective in what I've called you to do, and you will have the power that God gives you. Just like Moses was told, do everything that I give you the power to do. Everything. In the same way, you want to be filled up with the Holy Spirit so you can be witnesses of what God has done. So you can pray for people and get answers. So that you can pray for people's healing and see them healed. So that you can lead people to the Lord. So you can help people persevere if that's what they need, because everyone needs that. So that they hold on to hope and faith and they don't give up no matter what happens. All those things are important. And we'll conclude with 1 Corinthians 15.20. <clears throat> Messiah has indeed been raised from the dead. He's the first fruit or the firstborn of those who have fallen asleep.
those who have passed away already. He's the firstborn. Israel's the firstborn son, and Yeshua is the firstborn son. <coughs> Yeshua is the first fruits of the resurrection, and you and I, when we've been born from above and we've been made into new creations, we also are like that. We too are first fruits. So I want to encourage you in this. Keep it fresh all the time. Don't allow yourself to be dull. Don't allow yourself to celebrate anything, even to come to Shabbat services and be dull, where it's just like the same old thing to you all the time. That's not a problem of a congregation. That's a problem of humanity, of a person. Each person can experience things differently depending on your condition before God. And whenever you come, wherever you go, if you are saying, Lord, use me, Lord, let this be an opportunity for a fresh encounter with you. Let this be an opportunity for me to give thanks to you and to have a testimony of your faithfulness. God will give you that opportunity. Your eyes, your perspective, your heart, your understanding will all change, and they'll conform with that expectation of your faith and your faithfulness, and your knowing that God himself is faithful. That's what my hope is for you. Keep it fresh. Every time you're reading, keep it fresh. Don't get dull like some do. And they fall asleep before they fall asleep. You know what that means? It's like they're dead before they're dead. They may as well be zombies. Well, we're going to wrap it up. <coughs> With the ironic blessing. So would you please rise? And if you're standing by yourself, you are invited to move so that you can stand with others. Yivarechecha Adonai v'yishmarecha. Ye'er Adonai panavelecha v'yichunecha yisa Adonai panavelecha v'yasem lecha shalom. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep watch over you and protect you. The Lord caused the light of his face to shine upon you. <clears throat> the Lord be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his face to you and give you his peace in the name of Yeshua, the Prince of Peace. Amen. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Join us next door for fellowship and coffee in the Shalom Center. <laughs>